morning. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. If you've never heard screen cleaning before, let me tell you a little bit of what it's about. Parents, are you hard-pressed to find entertainment for your families that's also high quality? Well, Cole Wissinger and I, and I'm Jeff Simpson, are going to do our darndest to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. Episodes feature interviews with entertainers. We're going to do that today. Discussions about movies, TV, music, sports, and literature. We've got trivia games and sometimes even comedic sketches. It's really an entertaining show about entertainment. And you can hear us every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Now, the theme of today's show is 50 States 50 movies. We're going to be speaking with a university professor and filmmaker that's traveling to all 50 of our great states and making 50 movies. We're going to see how well Cole and I know our movie geography, and we'll be reviewing one of of this weekend's biggest movie releases. But first... We want to give you the best in entertainment news from this week. As we try to do every week to start the show. Right. And Cole, I'm, I guess, a little excited about this first piece of news. All right. You, I'm surprised, have not seen the documentary on Netflix, Making a Murderer. I have. Oh, you, you have? Got, you got some wrong information there, Jeffrey. And what did you think of it? It was okay. It was okay. I was riveted when we watched it for about the first three-fourths of the series. Right. And then the last fourth, I started to think, maybe this guy really is guilty. And I didn't like how I had been manipulated this whole time. But that's good filmmaking. That's true. But uh, the problem is there's going to be another season of Making a Murderer that's coming coming out. Coming out very soon, considering we just learned that it was going to happen. And it's interesting because I wonder what kind of ratings they'll get with this because there's not really much that's changed since the end of the first season of Making a Murderer. Or so we think. It follows the same story, same characters. We'll see. Uh, Also... Cole, this should be important to you because you are from Pennsylvania. I am. As was Mr. Rogers. Yep. And Tom Hanks. Everybody loves Tom Hanks, right? He'll be playing Mr. Rogers (laughs) in a biopic. Yeah, and we got the first picture of him dressed in the red sweater and with his hair kind of grayed up a little bit. Or maybe he just stopped dyeing it. I don't know how old Tom Hanks (laughs) is in real life. But uh, yeah, it it looked impressive. I was all right with it. I mean, if anyone's going to play the sweet Mr. Rogers, Tom Hanks seems like a viable guy. True, true. Now, I understand there's another piece of news that you are particularly excited about being the horror uh, aficionado that you are. Absolutely. So uh, last year, the best horror movie of the year was Happy Death Day. It was PG-13, <laughs> it was a summer blockbuster, and it was amazing. It was kind of a Groundhog Day take on horror where a person has to relive over and over and over and over again the same day. Um, we're and getting a sequel. She gets killed over and over. Like she has to get killed over and over again to solve the mystery, right? Right, right, okay. right. Uh, We're getting a sequel, and I'm so excited for it. And it has a wonderful – they did not lose the opportunity on their sequel titles. It is going to be called Happy Death Day to You. Excellent. Uh, you can picture the song in your head, and I know you love a good sequel title. I absolutely do, and so I am impressed. I was impressed even from the opening title card of this movie when the Universal logo comes on and it starts to do it, and then it winds back and we see it again, like the globe turning. Very clever. They know what they're doing with this series. I'm excited. Well, I'm glad you like that uh, bit of news because there is no other news that we want to focus on today. Uh, <clears throat> whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you Okay. 
I am. What's up? Are you okay? I'm there fine. was a brand I'm new great. trailer out this week. We like to talk about new trailers. Uh, was it another Goosebumps trailer? No. Uh, uh, was uh, it? Uh, I have no idea. It was a new Bumblebee trailer, Jeffrey. Uh, the new Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. You've heard of the franchise, right? I'm aware of the franchise, Cole. Uh-huh. The great franchise that it is. I forgive me if I don't agree with you. Now, granted, I haven't seen anything past the first film, but they're they're terrible, terrible movies, Cole. I mean, after the first one, they do go downhill, but the first one is a treasure. Terrible. It's a terrible. treasure. I, they both start with T words. Whoa, 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 you guys! Producer Mickey here. There's only one way we can settle this argument, and that is in the movie court. What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. These are actual movies produced in a California movie studio. Both parties have agreed to cease their fighting and have their dispute settled here in our forum, the movie court. I just want to point out really quick, I've taken Cole to the movie court before, but this this uh, today is an interesting new di- dynamic because we didn't have a third person to kind of be the judge and today we do judge mickey the honorable mickey randall is in the building here's how it's gonna work (laughs) you have one minute to defend your position on the movie be it for or against and then your opponent will have the opportunity for a 15 second rebuttal i will be timing we're gonna have cole go first okay let me know when i start the best for last i'm just gonna say we'll see i'm unbiased All right, Cole, are you ready? Yes. On your mark, get set, go. Remember we were talking about the first Transformers movie and the first one only. This is the one that had the very simple plot. You start off with Sam Witwicky and his journey to find the AllSpark to save the world. Um, He's going up against Megatron, and you get your whole cast of characters from the G1 Transformers world. We hit all the high notes with Jazz and Ratchet and Ironhide and, of course, Optimus Prime and the only one person that could voice Optimus Prime came back from the cartoons to do it, Peter Cullen. I know you're a voiceover guy, Jeff, so you got to appreciate that one. I am a voiceover guy. When they were introduced, it is a moment that will still give me goosebumps when I go back and watch it. To hear that theme as each, um, as each Autobot is coming to the Earth to save Bumblebee, who's been stranded here, and they know that their journey is to defeat the Decepticons. We come in in this full-fledged war that's been going on, and we're inserted with a great point-of-view character with Sam Witwicky and his family, and I think that it is a great film. Can I just say I think I've got my nerd fix for the day? Thank you, seconds of it. (laughs) Okay, are you ready for the rebuttal? No, this isn't my rebuttal. Well, I'm giving my one-minute argument against Transformers, the movie. Perfect. Okay, on your mark, get set. First, I want to set the stage and explain that part of the reason I really don't like this movie is because I had a bad experience watching it. I suggested to all of my brothers and my father that we should leave our family reunion, leave all the fun that we're having, and go watch Transformers, this big action movie. And uh, I suggested it, and everyone hated it. So who got the blame? Me. I got the blame. This movie exists purely to show off special effects with the story taking a backseat. I'm not opposed to special effects, Cole, although I do appreciate practical effects. But this movie was a big, dumb, loud turkey of a movie. There was not much character development. The acting was painful to watch. 
And I did mention that I didn't see any of the sequels, and I'm glad for it, grateful for it. Um, if I had to take the blame Five seconds. for ruining my reunion, Transformers has to take the blame for all the big, dumb action movies that have followed. Ooh. Well, that was quite the argument. It was a Michael Bay explosion at the end. Look at you getting <laughs> into the spirit. Okay, are we ready for a 15-second rebuttal from Cole? I am. On your mark, get set. Go. So I apologize that you had a bad experience. I had a great one. Seeing all these Transformers on the biggest screen possible was like no other. I went to the drive-in to see it, and that's how you're supposed to see them. I think you're thinking about the trailers for the other ones, because this first one was more minimal. Until we got to the very end, and we didn't stop. have all 15 the... 15 seconds. Rebuttal. All right, Jeff. 15 seconds for you. Mine isn't so much of a rebuttal as in, to be fair to Cole, and I think we're, these are the nicest rebuttals I think we're ever going to give... It's been, what, 10 years since I've seen this? I saw it the one time, and I never had any other uh, Transformers experience. But there are so many other Michael Bay movies that are better. (laughs) Including The Island, which you should check out if you haven't seen. But not Pearl Harbor, which you can skip. Yeah, you can skip that. (laughs) Okay, Mickey. This is a hard choice. I think this court is going to have to rule in favor of... Jeff, Transformers is a bad movie. Yes. What can I say? Thank you, Honorable Judge Mickey Randall. Now, do we have a sentencing to carry out for Cole? Like maybe a movie punishment. He has to sit mm. down and watch Pearl Harbor or something. Like that. We'll or do that next time. next time. Next time we'll introduce sentencing. There we go. That would be really fun. <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, thank you, Mickey. We really appreciate mm, that. My and pleasure. I'm especially appreciative because you agreed – Transformers is a terrible movie. But let's talk about a movie that's not as terrible as Transformers, and it's one of the new movie releases this weekend. It's we a little film. We promised you movie reviews, and now we're going to give them. Right. Yeah. It's a little, or depending on your perspective, big film called Smallfoot. Okay? Have you guys ever heard of this movie? I have seen the trailers. You've seen the trailers. Well, Smallfoot is about a community of yetis that are blissfully living in peace on their snow-capped mountain. And uh, they believe that this mountain floats above the clouds with nothing underneath it. They're taught that their menial daily tasks, such as throwing blocks of ice down a hole and launching themselves into a giant gong, are the things that keep the world going, right? Uh, Keep the world going around, I should say. And nobody ever questions any of this. They're just happy, blissful, uh, until one day, Migo, voiced by Channing Tatum, who's actually quite good in this movie, <laughs> encounters – I don't know why a drum – I should say dun, – dun, dun, a human. Oh, boy. Or, as humans are known among the Eddies, Smallfoot. Uh. So when Migo tries to convince the others of the terrifying Smallfoot encounter – He's banished from his own community and is told he can only return when he comes to his senses. And so he journeys beneath the clouds to find the legendary Smallfoot and clear his name. Now, I've got to say... It's a nice little uh, turnabout, turntables sure. thing. Yeah. I took my four-year-old to see this, and I knew it was safe because most animated movies are. I shouldn't use that logic for films like Sausage Party, or which I've never seen, thankfully. Um but we're sitting there, and we're a few minutes into the movie, and lo and behold, it's a musical. Channing Tatum oh. starts bursting out into song, and it's this happy, catchy, blissful tune. So we know he can dance, but can he sing? Well, I he 
was the singing was good. But again, okay. you never know how much help they're getting from computers That's these right. days. Uh, so there are really a couple of really rousing musical numbers, especially the one that features James, Cor- James Corden, who is in pretty much every animated movie that comes out these days. And we know he can sing. And he can sing because he has this carpool karaoke thing that he does on his show. Uh, he plays the human that Migo kidnaps and takes back to his community. Gotcha. Uh, the movie is all about keeping an open mind and questioning uh, the things that you're taught the uh, the main characters in this movie aren't seeking to destroy any traditions or beliefs, but they 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 want to argue that introducing new ideas and ways of thinking can actually enrich and add to those beliefs and way of ways of thinking. Now, um, there's nothing terribly original about this movie, and I actually prefer another movie that has a similar theme that was also produced by Warner Animation Studio. And uh, that's the Lego movie. Again, mm-hmm. also, like, you know, don't question anything. Just do what you're told. Everything, you know, and you'll be blissful and have a happy existence. Um, however, I will say that it is one of the better kids' movies that I've seen this year. Uh, but not some stiff competition. I wish, you've lamented yeah, I before. was going to say I yeah. wish that was saying something. But this has been a really, really weak year for kids' movies. But you could do a lot worse then Smallfoot, which is out in theaters. And if you want a good, short, cute musical, go see Channing Tatum and Smallfoot. Nice. Yeah. Well, that is going to do it for this segment of the show. When we return, as promised, we're going to be interviewing that film professor who is traveling to all 50 states to give you a little slice of life in each of those 50 states when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We are super excited to have a very special guest on the program today. He's going to be talking to us about a documentary that he's working on. And where you're from can say a lot about you. I think that's very true. And when you're an American, there are so many different places that you can call home. Such a vast cultural and physical environment leaves a lot of room for wonder. What would it be like to call Nevada home? What would it be like to call North Carolina home, Iowa? Well, this new documentary series explores just that. The filmmakers travel to each state in the United States and select one special individual. And through powerful interviews and unique scenery, we learn their story and what it means to have a place to call home. Fifteen films have been completed so far, and a new state is added to the collection every month. In the studio today, we have director-producer Brad Barber. He's a graduate of the University of Southern California and was named one of Variety's 10 Documakers to Watch in 2015. He's won several awards for his films, including multiple regional Emmys and the Grand Jury Prize at South by Southwest Film Festival. And he's been a film and media arts professor at BYU since 2007. Brad, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for being here. This is so exciting 
to get a glimpse of what it might be like to live in each one of our great 50 states. And I'm curious to know, just right off the bat, you've been teaching uh, you as a film professor at BYU since 2007. But where did it all start for Brad Barber? When did you begin to be interested in film and the filmmaking process? Uh you know, I really can't say it was when I was a kid, like a lot of people. It really wasn't till I got here. I went to BYU as an undergrad. As a kid, I was interested in journalism uh, and maybe some very brief entrees into the world of home movies with my siblings. Um, but yeah, I, I came here and I knew I was interested in photography and journalism. And then I took an intro to film class. And they talked about documentary. And I just, I grew up in East Tennessee in the 80s and 90s. There weren't film festivals out there. There wasn't this thing called the internet. I had zero exposure to documentaries that we recognize today, maybe occasionally something on, on PBS. But uh, I, yeah, I was introduced to this whole new world, short documentaries, feature documentaries that you see in the theater uh, here at BYU. That's, that's really where it started. So you mentioned that you would make some films as a kid. What what kind of movies did you make when you were younger? Well, uh, the the term movie may be a generous term here. <laughs> Let's say that up front. We I six kids in my family, kind of big, like a lot of uh, LDS families, and they. I was on the younger end, and whenever an older sibling would come to school, and they all all six of us came here to BYU. Uh, the younger kids would make a movie about something in their life and send it to them on VHS as a you know a little uh, family uh, you know care package kind of thing. So they were just oh, dumb family jokes that we would put into you know uh, like a skit. Sure, sure. <laughs> now, were there certain movies or filmmakers that inspired you growing up? Boy, nobody's ever asked me that question. As a, as a kid growing up, no, I really can't say there was like a specific filmmaker. There were a handful of films that got my attention and I, I sort of made parts of me, I think, start to light up that I didn't even totally understand. Amadeus was one of those films. Oh, I love that. You've seen that? Isn't that oh, a great yeah. film? I watched that over and over again. Uh, my mom would meticulously record uh, movies off of TV onto VHS and uh, I got a lot of introduction to some of the early, you know, or you know, classics throughout film history on VHS, just that my mom either was familiar with or thought we'd be interested in. And a few of those stuck probably too. But yeah, there's there's a handful of films, but no filmmakers. And none of those were documentaries, by the way. Like, I, again, pretty much zero introduction to that. So Yeah. So there's obviously a travel element to this documentary series that you're making. Were you a big traveler as a kid? Did you go from state to state or did you stay in one place most of the time? Man, I'm loving these questions. This is great. <laughs> I, no one's ever asked me that either. We did. We traveled quite a bit. Uh, my parents, uh, we, I was born in the East Bay Area in Northern California, and my dad got a job transferred to East Tennessee. And at the time, they thought they'd only be there for two or three years and come right back uh, to Northern California. So when we got there... My parents uh, really had an let's call it an ambitious vacation sort of agenda to, for all the eastern states because we just thought we'd never be back there. Um, I think and, every parent is ambitious when they're planning a vacation. <laughs> that's probably true with six kids in particular, right? And then they go home with no more hair. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we'd all pile in the van, and yeah, we drove all every summer. It was a big road trip all around the the east and then the southeast and the Midwest, and yeah, grew up with a, a lot of uh, that kind of travel for sure. And then when I was in college, I was lucky to be part of some uh, 
international travel, both with a study abroad and, and with some documentary jobs I was really fortunate to get that brought me around the world. Do you remember where you were or what was it that, that sparked this idea that, you know what, I'm going to make a documentary series about all 50 states? Yes, absolutely. When I was in film school at USC, uh, one of our professors showed us this series that the BBC had put together, uh, mostly in the 90s, called Video Nation. And they were really short, one to two minute long documentaries made by everyday people across the UK that uh, would actually check out video cameras from their local station, film some events in their life, and usually about their perspectives about something that was happening in their lives, and then hand the footage back to the BBC. The people there would edit it. They'd show the subject and make sure they felt good about it. And then they'd air it in between like hours of programming. And so my professor showed us seven or eight of those in a row. And it just blew my mind. They were so interesting and so much more intricate and diverse than I expected uh, for stories coming from a place like the UK that at that time in my life had seen I'd seen kind of monochromatically. You know, it was sure, a lot yeah. more diverse, a lot more interesting and and not scientific in any means, but I, I really liked this sort of mosaic feeling I was getting by just hearing seeing these sort of disparate stories put together. I thought, oh, I'm getting a broader picture of what life in the UK is really like. Yeah. You know, I think to the average person, just the idea of visiting all 50 states would seem like a pretty daunting task. But not only are you visiting all 50 states, but you are filming in all 50 states. And not only that, but you are having to try to zero in on, on one subject per state, and you're going to follow that subject and tell their story. How do you go about uh, doing that without pulling your hair out and, and losing sleep? Well, there's plenty of that too. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, when we started, I have to backtrack a tiny bit to say we did kind of a uh, we did a different project for KBYU uh, called Beehive Stories. My students and I teach here at the university. We teach I teach documentary, and uh, we would make short documentaries about one person in every county in Utah. And I saw this as sort of something that I thought would appeal to viewers of KBYU, certainly, but also in my mind, I was thinking of it as sort of like a test run for this larger, more ambitious project I had in mind. And it helped establish some things with a, you know, our visual style and how we'd kind of organize the shoots. And Utah, you know, is a, it's a big-ish state, but not so big to where we couldn't travel around and, and do that. Um, but when I started filming the States episodes, it was actually in the middle of that process when I would go off to, if I was in a new state I'd never been to before for a conference or for a personal trip, I would kind of bring a camera along with me and, you know, really quickly find some time to film with somebody, usually somebody I found ahead of time. But to answer your question, pretty soon I discovered I, I don't think I'd be able to shoot all 50 of these myself, you know, in, in, in as short amount of time as I'd like. It would take too long to do all 50 myself. And I had all these students that were coming out of Beehive Stories that that had had a lot of practice with this kind of work. And so occasionally... Uh, especially if a student was from a state that um, was far away or that they had some real interesting connection to or they knew somebody, if right after they graduated, I've, I have worked with a handful of my former students after they graduate and we collaborate on a subject idea, come up with some questions and uh, ideas and they'll actually go film it. I've done that a few times. So I can't say mm -hmm. that I'm going to do all 50. I've still done most of them, but I, I won't have done all 50 by the time we're done. I, I don't think that'd be possible. Uh, for me. So that that's kind of how we do it right now. And uh, I collaborate sometimes with 
Sometimes I go alone. Sometimes I go with my wife and frequent collaborator, Susan Kruger-Barber. Sometimes I'll go with a former student. And um, and yeah, sometimes a former student might shoot it. And then when we're finished shooting it, uh, I don't edit those all myself. I have a class where some of my students will um, edit those with me acting as producer and collaborating with them and mentoring them and kind of creating an environment. Uh, just like I worked in Los Angeles before I got here, I try to make this class as close to that kind of professional environment as possible where they're editing these episodes together with me and sometimes with those former students that shot them. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Brad Barber, who is a film and media professor at BYU, as well as the filmmaker of the docu-series States of America. And I want to talk to you a little bit now about what you envisioned when you first started out on this project and how your expectations may have been exceeded or something unexpected that you witnessed as a part of this process. The idea definitely has evolved a bit. Yeah, when we started out, I knew I was interested in getting this glimpse of life in every state, for sure. I liked this idea of a mosaic. And similar to this Video Nation project I mentioned, I really liked the idea of of approaching something like this, not in terms of a census worker or this is this one person that represents everything about this state, but rather simply a, a storyteller that's looking at interesting people, maybe that might surprise you being from the place that they're from, whether they were born there or not. And um, as it evolved a bit uh, over the years, and it's been a few years that I started this, we've shot 26 states now. As you mentioned before, we've released 15 of them once a month. We release a new one, but we're a little over halfway down the road after several years, and it's become a little bit more clear over the years that, um, you know, we're in a time, I don't need to tell you that, you know, the People in the United States, I think, are more divided than ever. There's sure. sort of this like uh, mutual suspicion a lot. And I think there's especially sub- suspicion of people that we just don't have a lot of experience with. We don't know a lot of people like that person. Sometimes we call this the the other, right, in academia. Yeah. Someone that's come from a different background from us. So I really have grown to see the series as an opportunity to address that and introduce all these new types of people that are – just as American, just as Utah or, or wherever they're from as, as anyone else. Um, and I, I think people generally, when you meet someone, if you, if you get to know someone, it's harder to not like them. It's harder to vilify them. It's harder to put them in a stereotypical box. And um, I believe in the power of documentaries as, as a way to do that, as a way to generate empathy. And I, that's something I hope that this, this series is going to do. Yeah. Could you share with us one of the most powerful experiences that you've had filming this? Maybe that's just from your own life or maybe it involves one of the stories of, of one of your subjects. Absolutely. Um, I could tell you two and you could choose which one you want to use or I could just <laughs> tell you two. Uh, but I, the first thing that comes to my head is, is definitely the subject of Utah. Uh, yeah, that was one of the earliest ones that I shot um, back in 2009, I think it was. And uh, – Utah is a place that I think a lot of people do still see with a fairly um, homogenous kind of lens, right? We all sort of seem like we might be in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, you know, for sure white, uh, wearing a suit or something, or a dress, uh, going to church. And, uh, you know, Beehive Stories taught me there's a lot more out there in Utah. And in that process, I met this man named Daniel who, as most good story ideas, came from my wife, Susan. She had met him and told me, you, you have to talk to him. 
And he had nine years earlier decided uh, as a conscientious sort of objection to society, you could say, to completely disavow the use of money. He wasn't wow. a, not a homeless person, not, uh, you know, easily could have had a job. He was pre-med. He worked in the Peace Corps. He's a very capable person. He just chose to stop using money and completely live separate from that based on his philosophical and even spiritual beliefs. And it was yeah, it was amazing to to meet him, to hang out with him a bit. He lived in a cave at the time in southern Utah and to see how happy he was. It was really a joyful kind of experience for him. And at the time, I, yeah, it, it was definitely the biggest experience I had with someone forcing me into a new perspective or forcing me to look at the world a bit differently than I had before. Not just as a, here's a Utah that is not the type of Utah as I would have expected, but his whole worldview you know, definitely challenged me and, and opened me up. And it was very exciting and rewarding. And that, I think that's what the best of these episodes can do. Do you think you could go without money, Brad? It's a it's a great thought. Yeah. And <laughs> to be honest, I, I you know, I, I like to say that I thought about it in the abstract a lot when I was hanging out with sure, Daniel. Yeah. It seemed pretty clear to me with my children and our family situation, it wouldn't be a possibility in in the real world. But I really liked thinking about it. And I liked examining the way I was looking at money and the way I was treating money and letting it influence my life. So I don't think that I could. Um, I, but I think, I think uh, it's a more reasonable sort of proposition than a lot of people would, would believe. Yeah. Daniel's a really happy guy. He still does it. He's had some interludes where he had to take care of uh, some ailing family members and adjust a little bit, but he's that's been several years now. I mean, he's he's very much committed to it and very happy. And that's one that's already completed that that people can go and, and watch right now, isn't it? Yes, yes, on the website, statesfilms.com. It's one of the first ones there. So you've been to 26 states already. Are you able to tell us, if you had to choose one favorite that you've visited so far, which one would it be and why? I will tell you, and it was a surprise to me, uh, I didn't grow up in the Midwest. I married a Midwesterner, a very fierce, loyal, proud Midwesterner <laughs> who's lived in uh, Missouri and Minnesota and had had a lot of experiences elsewhere in the Midwest. And she introduced me to this town called Decorah, Iowa, that every year hosts this gigantic regional festival celebrating Nordic heritage. There's a lot of people from that region from Scandinavia that uh, immigrated to the United States and, and moved to the, the northern Midwest. And they come from all over to this festival in a small town of Decorah. And it seemed I'd driven through there before. It seemed lovely, but it wasn't somewhere I think that was on the top of my list of being you know really particularly excited about. But we met uh, this amazing woman uh, named Beth, who was a fiddler. Um, she played these Scandinavian, traditional Scandinavian songs. She also worked in the co-op in town. She seemed to kind of know everybody. She was so nice. She and her husband, um, this doesn't happen all the time with making these, but she, they made us this amazing meal before we got started and just couldn't have been more hospitable. And she was telling us, yeah, uh, when I start fiddling at the festival tonight, there'll, there'll be a few hundred people there dancing these traditional uh, Norwegian dances. And Susan and I just looked at each other like, wow, really? That's amazing. And we got there and watched her set up and there weren't that many people there. And I kind of thought, well, maybe it's not going to be quite as big as she thought, as she explained. But sure enough, uh, after half an hour, more and more people came, more and more people came. And before long, there was, it felt like the entire town was in this closed off street, listening to her and her band footnotes, 
play these traditional, beautiful uh, songs, and sure enough, dancing together in these really intricate choreographed dances that it turns out she had taught them. Oh, wow. At times, holding hands and, you know, doing these different beautiful moves in circles. And my wife and I just looked at each other, and both of us were uh, crying. Uh, It was Mm. this unbelievably poetic, beautiful, peaceful kind of thing to behold and not something I expected to be so moved by, but is by far my, my favorite experience. So just like in The Music Man, you ought to give Iowa a try, right? <laughs> I guess so. And that's funny Iowa's because great. Yeah. pretty much all I know about Iowa is from The Music Man, where in that movie anyway, people mind their own business and they're kind of grumpy. And if you go to a picnic, you can eat your fill of all the food you bring yourself, is what they say. What a great story. So which state would you say that you're most excited to visit next? Alaska. For yes. sure. I've never been to Alaska. This will be my only chance. I'm not someone that has the means to go on an Alaskan cruise or do something <laughs> adventurous up there. This is my only chance, and I'm very excited to take it. Uh, and I've, I've, I think I've decided what the subject's going to be. Uh, it's going to revolve around light and the unusual kind of light conditions they have up sure. there with the winters. I'm going to go in the winter uh, where the golden hour lasts for a long time and people deal with darkness a lot. I think that is going to fit really well into our series because I, the way I choose people to feature in the films are if they have a connection to the place, not just the fact that they're from there and have something to say about it, but specifically if they do something outdoors or if some part of their life or their work is connected to that unique place. And I think darkness in the winter in Alaska is uh, something that's really unique to Alaska. So that's what we're going to explore, and that's what I'm most excited about next. Yeah. So when all is said and done, when you've completed this project and people have a snapshot of all 50 states, what is it that you hope that viewers of this documentary series will walk away with? I hope that people walk away with both a greater curiosity about the vast you know, amounts of people, groups of people, communities in this country that they just haven't had experience with yet. It's it's a bit hard to get our minds around. 300 million people is a lot of people. You can yeah. go your whole life, whether you live in one state or maybe you've, you've even lived in several states and traveled. And I think it's fair to say you'll still have a pretty limited experience when a group is that big. I think our nation is a lot more diverse than we sometimes realize. So I hope that when people watch the series, they'll 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 think about that a little bit more. They'll have a little bit more of an entry point into these different communities, these different experiences that might be different than their own. And it might help them when they see somebody that's different from them talking about something they can relate with in particular, like how you feel about where you live. I think that's kind of a universal idea. Most people have feelings about where they live. And when you hear someone talk about it, there you've got something in common and there's kind of a a shared experience that people can come away with. Sure. And just in closing here, Brad, if you had to choose one state to live in other than Utah, which state would it be and why? Part of the joy of this project is is the chance to visit so many different states. I've kind of been obsessed with states a lot in my life. I was born on the 4th of July. I've always felt this sort of inherent connection to our our country. I haven't been to all 50 quite yet in my personal life. I'm, I'm pretty close. But I was born in California uh, – I lived in California again with my wife when we were first married, and I think that's the place that's kind of continued to feel like a spiritual home to me mm-hmm. and, and to my wife Susan as well. We're 
hoping to maybe retire there someday. I think that's the place we'd probably go back to. I would probably go back to Washington. We lived in Seattle, and it was beautiful. And I have visited Alaska as well. Also beautiful. You're going to love it. Great. We've been speaking with Brad Barber, who is a film and media arts professor here at BYU, and he is also the documentarian of the docu-series States of America. They're about halfway finished. And Brad, give us that website that we can go to again to see some of these films that you've put together. They're at statesfilms.com, or we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's a great way to get the updates when we release a new episode. You'll see it on Facebook, facebook.com slash statesofamerica, or on Instagram and Twitter, we're statesfilms, at statesfilms. Well, Brad, thanks again for being on the program. We are going to take a break, and when we return... Our good friend Mickey has put together a little trivia contest for Cole and myself regarding the 50 states and maybe how some movies tie into those 50 states. We'll see how well we do when we return. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. That is the sound of our new trivia contest music. And I'm so excited because Mickey Randall, one of our contributors here on Screen Cleaning, has put together a trivia contest for Cole and myself regarding the 50 states. And there's a film tie-in as well. I'll just let you explain it, Mickey. Okay, so this is some geography-based trivia Now, the questions are going to be varied. They're not all based on the United States. The theme is geography. I I know my rocks so well. Oh, good. Geology, Jeff. That was a joke. (laughs) I'm not that dense. As a rock? As a rock. (laughs) That's the worst joke. (laughs) You guys are starting to catch on. Okay. All right, we can do this. Okay, so here's how it works. Geography trivia. Geography trivia Mm -hmm. slash movies. We'll have Jeff go first. Yes. You'll ask a question. If you do not get it right, Cole will have the opportunity to steal. So he'll get two questions in a row. And these are each worth one point? One point. Okay. Yeah. There are some tiebreakers if needed. We'll do 10 questions. I must break you. Bring it on. Okay, Jeff. What movie, Cole? Rocky Four. Very good. Mm, haven't, I need to watch that one. Okay. Here's your first question. We'll ignore that you just said that, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. My question is- Rocky Four. <laughs> It's geography themed as well. That's true. Rocky goes to Russia to defeat communism. Hmm. So many Rockies. Rocky who has, who has the communism. time? Okay, number one. In which Alfred Hitchcock movie could you find Mount Rushmore? That would be North by Northwest. Correct. Yes. One point to Jeff. Uh, thank you. All right, Cole. All right. Now, where could you find... Mount Rushmore. In, oh, in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, North by northwest of where I'm sitting right now-ish, it is in the Dakotas. 
Which Dakota <laughs> Yeah, call? I think you need to be more specific than that. You, I'm hoping you get it wrong how so about, that by process of elimination I can get it right. How about South Dakota? Correct. Yeah. It is South Dakota. Very good But the Cole. north end of South Dakota. Sure. It's like, I'm not sure. See, it's now, I don't want to say. This is a good way to remember it now. So we know it's in north by northwest and it's opposite of north, so it's South Dakota. That's a perfect way to there remember it. There we go. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Question number three. Okay. Hopefully you've seen the movie Rushmore, directed I, by Wes Anderson. I most certainly have. Now, where does the movie Rushmore take place? Ugh. I could tell you everything else about this movie. <laughs> I could tell you who wrote it, uh, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. I could tell you who starred in it. Jason Schwartzman. Olivia Williams and Bill Murray. And even the little kid from Dennis the Menace. But oh, I can't tell you where this movie was made. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that the movie takes place in Boston, Massachusetts. So sorry. No! That is wrong. Cole? How about you... New York? Also wrong. Darn. The correct answer is Houston, Texas. R- yeah, I could see that. But is there, ever, school. is there ever a, ever a point in the movie where they make a point of saying, this is Texas? You know, I would have to watch it again. Okay. I also know, I'm pretty sure it was shot in Texas also. Okay. So uh, those are my double. favorites. Actual on location kind of movies. All right. That doesn't happen so often I got, enough. Right. I got that wrong. It's still tied. It's one still one. tied. All right, cool. I could even sing some of the <laughs> parts of the soundtrack for you. Hmm. He's so broken. Maybe we should give you a point for knowing the most. You can edit any of that out if you want to, but <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Now, Cole, can you name a famous quote from Apollo 13? Speaking of the location of where Rushmore was, how about Houston? We have a problem. Correct. Although I suppose that is a subjective question. And by the way, that is not actually the quote that was used to describe the dire situation. It was Mm. not Houston, we have a problem. I think it was something like Houston, we may have a problem. Well, Tom Hanks told me <laughs> that it's Houston, Houston we, have, we a have a problem. No, I mean in the real life oh, scenario, real life. I think it was Houston, we, we may, may have, have a, problem a problem or something like that. It wasn't exactly Houston, we have a problem, but we always remember the way that Tom Hanks says things, right? Right. Okay. Good well, we job, remember Cole. the way Ryan Gosling says things in about a month's time, though. Ooh, that mm. is a great question. Mm. Mm. Yes, we might. All right, Jeff, your turn. Okay. What is the capital of Texas? The capital of Texas. I know you want me to say Houston, Texas. And I know it's Houston or Austin. And I'm going to... I'm horrible at this stuff. I thought it was all movie related. Okay. I'm going to say Austin, Texas. Final answer. You're correct. Yes! It is Austin. <laughs> I, you know, I know my wife is listening thinking, I can't believe it took you that long <laughs> to answer that question. It's hard. There's a lot of major cities in Texas. It's true. It's a hard question. Austin's not one of them. Everything's bigger in Texas. Isn't that one of their sayings? Mm-hmm. I think okay. they do say that. Okay. Cole. Yes. Mike Myers is famous for playing which secret agent? <sighs> that would be Austin. 
powers. Correct. Austin I'm so sorry. He's getting Danger all the easy ones. powers. Danger's my middle name. Ooh. I maybe only get a half point for not having the full one. <laughs> well, I don't think it's his actual middle name, but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. Jeff. Yes. Here we go. So I'm hoping you've seen the Christmas film Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> in which Kevin McAllister is left home alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we know where he is, but where are his parents? Are we talking Home Alone or Home Alone 2 Lost in New York? We're talking Home Alone 1, the original. Where are they going? So, in the original Home Alone, You're they stalling. go... I am not. I am not. Because in their hotel room, as they're trying to figure out what they should do once they've realized the mistake that they've made, they're watching the film It's a Wonderful Life translated into the French language. They go to France... Correct. And in the second film, I believe they go to Florida, mm. and he ends up in New York. Yep. Uh, thank I you. love those movies. Thank you. Very good. Uh, they were uh, elaborate travelers, I would say. It's expensive to fly during the holidays. Especially I with know. that many kids and family members you're going with. Right. Now, they tried to do a head count. Don't ask me where they went in three and four because I didn't see it. Yeah. Well, in three, no one goes anywhere. He's just homesick, and that's it's kind of a rear true. window thing where he's the only one that sees what's going on in his neighborhood. Is it still Kevin McAllister or is it some other no, character? It's a new it's a kid. kid. Mm-hmm. And then four, they pretend that it's Kevin McAllister, but it's a different actor because Macaulay Culkin was older <laughs> by that point and having uh, real life problems. And I remember French Stewart was in that movie. I just didn't watch oh, the absolutely. movie because I had better uses of my time. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Cole. Yes. This is old school. We're going old school for this question. I can do that. Where does Casablanca take place? Hmm. Does it take – it takes place in Casablanca. That's a place, isn't it? It is. But then but they – where are they in general? So they also always have Paris, which is also there. Always. Um, Morocco? Morocco? Correct. Yeah. Well, yes, very good. Morocco. Very good. I'm glad you got that right. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> But there was also a Paris connection. I like these there questions. Was. Mickey's good at this uh, yes. leading on kind mm-hmm. of thing. All right. What number are we up to now? We are on number nine. Okay. So these are the last two questions. Yes. And I believe Cole's ahead by one. Mm-hmm. But it's not really? too late. Well, because you so. missed one. You missed one. Rushmore? Ugh. The hardest one. The hardest one. one. Okay. Okay. See if you can get this one. Where is Marty McFly, our hero from Back to the Future? Where is he from? He is from... Uh, I, I almost said Hidden Valley, but it's uh, – I know it's in California, and I know that it's something valley. Is it – oh, my gosh. If I don't get this right, Cole wins, and we can't have that. Well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can we – can we come back to me and give Cole his number 10 question? I would say yes, we can. Yes. Okay, do that and it'll give me a little more time. Okay. Okay. And if I get this right, then I just win and you won't even have to know <laughs> the location. Of just, just ask him the question. Go ahead. Okay. In Finding Nemo, 
Marlon and Dory need to get to a specific location. What is the address oh, of that location? Number. So it's something something P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. Correct. 42 no. Wallaby Sherman, Way, Sydney. 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. <laughs> wow, cool. Good memory. Mm. All right. So Also, what, I have no idea what the answer to yours is. I know that the, is the Twin Pines Mall becomes the Lone Pines Mall. 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 Right. But like, so it's something valley. But it, yeah. It's, I feel like we should give it to you because you were so close. It's Hill Valley, California. Hill Valley. Hidden, oh. See, Hidden Valley is the ranch dressing, Jeffrey. I know. I knew that. <laughs> but I'm very familiar with ranch dressing. But I knew it was a valley. Wow, Cole. Very good. Cool. So Congratulations. You know your geology a little better than I do. Uh, probably also along with the geography <laughs> that I'm good at, too. Next time, a geology quiz. Yeah, and it could be all about the Rocky movies. Yeah? Yeah. Very good. Thanks Always so much for putting that together, Mickey. That was a lot of fun. My pleasure. It's fun for me, too. And it's a good reminder. I need to hit the books and <laughs> or watch more movies about geography, I guess. That's just I... a good excuse mm-hmm. to watch movies. <laughs> why, don't I, well, you, why don't I skew more toward the watching the movies that involve geography? I think I have more time for that. Good compromise. Yeah. Anyway, we are going to take a break, and when we return, we are going to do the thing that we do each and every week to end the show, and that is give you our Panning for Good segment, where we dig a little deeper to find something that is noteworthy of good report, and that we're going to put a big old spotlight on to find that little nugget in our pan for Panning for Good. Wondering what to watch tonight? You're in luck. The American Film Institute has got you covered. From their list of the 100 greatest American movies, here's a classic movie you can watch with your family tonight. There's no place like home, especially if you're watching The Wizard of Oz with your family. It's the story of a young girl named Dorothy who takes a journey through the wonderful land of Oz. It's a great movie, but don't get too caught up or you'll miss the horses in the Emerald City. Each horse was painted with jello crystals to give them their unique colors. They had to film quickly, though, because the horses kept licking the jello off. And here's something else I bet you didn't know. The snow that Glinda the Good Witch sends to wake them up from the poppy field? It was actually 100% industrial-grade asbestos. Think what you will about the scarecrow, but whoever okayed that decision definitely didn't have a brain. So, do you think The Wizard of Oz belongs on the list of 100 greatest films, or should we pay no attention to the film behind the curtain? You'll just have to watch and find out. And there's no place like BYU Radio Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Because screen cleaning is on, and that is another addition into Mickey's Mantle. Producer Mickey is going through AFI's 100 list of movies and inducting a few onto what she believes could go on. Some of the appropriate ones. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know some of those little tidbits about the film. Did you, Cole? I, the Jello thing was new to me. Great film, though. Mm-hmm. Definitely deserves to be on that list. And since they weren't in Kansas anymore, we thought it was applicable for our 50 states show. And the next thing that we're going to do is also similar to what we've been talking about, the theme that we're doing about locations. We're going to induct a Mount Rushmore, um, as we've talked about, is in South Dakota, of each state's 
just two of them, the states that we, Jeff and I, are from, the movies that are located there um, and sometimes filmed there. So, for example, I'm from Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is known for, I believe, four specific media things and from four different parts of the state. Philadelphia gives us Rocky. Scranton, Pennsylvania has given us The Office. Punxsutawney gave us Groundhog Day, and the Pittsburgh area was where Night of the Living Dead, one of the great original horror movies, took place. Okay, I'll give you my four. These aren't necessarily my favorite films, but these are films that take place in California and usually are most films are filmed in California anyway, and that's where I'm from. I'm but from, these are supposed to be in California. Yes, I'm from Anaheim, California, and up on my Mount Rushmore, my California Mount Rushmore, I'm going to put the films Vertigo, a solid Alfred Hitchcock pick. Yes. Uh, American Graffiti, another solid George Lucas pick, actually. Uh, the film The Naked Gun, I can't think about movies in California and not think of the scene that takes place at Angel Stadium toward the end of the film where Leslie Nielsen is the umpire and is trying to find uh, who this assassin is among all the players. And so he's patting him down and doing all sorts of clever things. Whenever we did our sports movies bracket, we both talked about wanting to put this part in there yes. just because of how great that right. scene is. And then the show Arrested Development. Oh, yes. One of my favorite comedies of all time. Definitely deserves to be up there. Very represent, and we both try to be representative of our states. Vertigo's Northern California, right? There's the Golden mm -hmm. Gate Bridge that they kind of mm -hmm. go to a couple times. As a Western Pennsylvania native, I really enjoy in Night of the Living Dead how the little the banner comes across at the bottom of the screen telling everyone where to evacuate to, and it's all yeah. these like small little towns that only me and the you know a couple thousand people that live over on that side of the state know about. That's funny. You know, mm -hmm. I watched that recently. You know what's interesting? The annoying guy that is kind of uh, perceived as the coward, yeah. he ends up being right in the end, well, if you think about it. Yeah. We'll talk after the show. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I agree. I but agree. as you know, we like to end each and every one of our shows by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them there hills. <laughs> If you're not familiar with Panning for Good, we take a couple of minutes on each show to end the show by highlighting a story, a movie, a person that is, you know, it's worthy of our attention and our time here on the program that maybe isn't as prominent as some of the other things that you might see in the news. Now, this film that I'm going to talk about today is not, certainly not one that is obscure or lesser known, but it is a film that perhaps people ought to revisit and, you know, a film that probably a lot of people think, oh yeah, I forgot about that movie. And the reason I chose it is because it's PG, it stars Jim Carrey, and it has a very similar theme to the two movies I mentioned earlier, Smallfoot and the Lego movie, in that things aren't as they seem and maybe you should start questioning things and and be more aware of your surroundings and it is the film the truman show ah uh. this is the film that was very important to me when it came out uh i think it was like 2001 something like that and if you're not familiar with the plot jim carrey is truman burbank 
who lives this very happy life. He's very kind. He is an insurance salesman and has no idea that basically everything going on around him is one big farce. It's one big facade. He is the star of his very own TV show. There's a director. Everybody around him is an actor, including his wife and best friend, which if you sit down and think about that aspect is really quite disturbing. And little things start happening throughout the movie that kind of clue him in on the fact that something weird is going on here. And they start to burst the bubble. Right. Like there's a, a little – it's supposed to be raining, but there's only like one concentrated area of water. And whenever he moves, it follows him. And people start staring at him and following him. And his father, who is supposed to be dead, all of a sudden comes back to life and – he starts getting a little paranoid, but uh, it's it's such a fascinating film and really quite a charming, more dramatic turn for Jim Carrey. It's good to see him do these movies every once in a while, and it's PG. You can't go wrong with a PG Jim Carrey movie. You got to take those opportunities when you when you have them, right, Cole? You do. Directed by Peter Weir, who also did a film that Cole is not terribly fond of. Uh, Dead Poet Society. Eh. He did Master and Commander. He did Witness. He did The Year of Living Dangerously. So really not a ton of movies that you've probably heard about, but you've at least heard of Dead Poet Society and The Truman Show. And The Truman Show, which is very good. Right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We hope you've had a wonderful time, and we are super excited about next week's show. Next week, we're going to be kicking off our Halloween-themed show. It's going to be a whole month full of Halloween goodness here on Screen Cleaning. October is coming your way. Cole lives for this month, as we've established. He's a horror movie aficionado. But uh, we're going to do the same thing we did this week and bring you the best in entertainment here on Screen Cleaning. 